If anyone asks you uh, after the service this evening or during the week uh, what the theme was tonight, it's very easy. Uh, It's simply Hebrews chapter 13, verse 1, uh, which reads, Let brotherly love continue. Uh, That is the theme tonight. Hebrews very clearly encourages us, uh, exhorts us, uh, commands us to let brotherly love continue. But that, of course, begs the question, doesn't it? Uh, It begs the question, what is brotherly love? Uh, What does Hebrews mean? What does God mean when he tells us to let brotherly love continue? Unfortunately, this passage tells us, and it tells us in four words. Uh, In verses 1 to 6, brotherly love is described for us in four different ways. Uh, I'm sure it's not exhaustive. I'm sure there are other words which could be used to describe brotherly love. Uh, But we're going to just focus this evening uh, on the four words that Hebrews uh, gives us to describe brotherly love. And those words, those themes are hospitality, compassion, faithfulness, and contentment. Hospitality, compassion, faithfulness, and contentment. And those four words uh, sum up the instructions of verses 1 to 6 and teach us how we can show brotherly love. Uh, So if at any point this evening you're lost, just uh, look down at your service sheet and you'll know we are looking at one of those words at least, at whatever point you are lost at. Uh, We'll be just going through one at a time those four themes which are given to us here. Uh, So let's start with the first theme, hospitality. And you can see this in verse 2. Hebrews writes, Do not forget to entertain strangers, for by so doing, some have unwittingly entertained angels. Um, The first way Hebrews instructs us and encourages us to show brotherly love is to remind us to be hospitable. And to encourage us, he reminds us of a biblical character who you might not expect. Uh, He takes us back to Genesis chapter 19 and to the character of Lot, who was Abraham's nephew. I say you might not expect him because uh, Lot is one of those characters who gets a pretty bad rap uh, in the church. And understandably so, he wasn't in many ways an exemplary character. He made many mistakes in his life. Nevertheless, um, Peter's letter tells us he was a righteous man. 
We're told that he was vexed daily by the evil of Sodom and Gomorrah where he lived. Uh, What he was doing in Sodom is another question. But at the very least, he was grieved by the evil that was in the city. And Hebrews reminds us of what Genesis 19 tells us about Lot. Uh, You might remember how two angels came to visit Abraham, Lot's uncle. And these two angels uh, tell Abraham that he's going to have um, a son. Uh, But they also tell him that God is going to judge the city of Sodom, the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah because of their evil. And Abraham begs for the life of his son, uh, his, uh, his nephew, Lot, and he begs them to spare the city for the sake of his nephew and his family. And uh, in the end, they, um, God promises to preserve Sodom if there are at least 10 righteous found there. And these two angels are sent on a mission to Sodom, and they enter the city. But Lot does not know that they are angels. And this is what uh, Genesis 19, verses 1 to 3 says. It says, Now the two angels came to Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. When Lot saw them, he rose to meet them, and he bowed himself with his face toward the ground. And he said, Here now, my lords, please turn into your servant's house and spend the night and wash your feet. Then you may rise early and go on your way. And they said, No, but we will spend the night in the open square. But he insisted strongly. So they turned into him and entered his house. Then he made them a feast and baked unleavened bread, and they ate. And sadly, it soon becomes clear uh, why Lot was so eager for the angels to come into his house, though he didn't know they were angels, Uh, why he didn't want them to stay in the open square, because uh, a mob comes to his house that night and they ask for the men who have come in, the angels, though they did not know it, uh, so that they might abuse them. And Lot knew that this was likely to happen. When he saw these two strangers come into the city, he gives them hospitality to prevent them being abused by the men of Sodom. And what's so fascinating about that story is that Lot had no idea that they were angels. Uh, He wasn't inviting them into his house because he kind of hoped some of their honor and glory would rub off on him. Uh, We can do that sometimes, can't we? Uh, We want to perhaps invite great people to our house because we can say, uh, oh, look who came to visit me. Uh, I remember uh, hearing a story, I think it was um, David Frost, um, and uh, he said how on one occasion uh, it just so happened that Uh, the census was happening on the same evening that Nelson Mandela was staying at his house. And so on the census, uh, where it said, um, do you have anyone living in, uh, staying at your house? And he said, well, I suppose I better put down Nelson Mandela. (laughs) And you can see the kind of um, second-hand glory that can come from inviting great people into our homes. But Lot didn't know 
that these were great men. He did not know that they were angels. He invited them simply because he cared for them, because he did not want them to be abused and suffer. And Hebrews is instructing us to have that same sort of care, that same sort of love for strangers. We should welcome people, not because of the size of their bank balance, not because of their fame, not because of any human um, aspect which might make them, uh, might rub off onto us, but simply because we care for them, because we love them. This is how we show brotherly love. It's a key way we as believers show brotherly love by being hospitable, by being welcoming even to the least of people because we don't know we might be entertaining angels unawares. Uh, There was once a lady called, still alive today, called uh, Rosaria Butterfield. You may have heard of her. And uh, she wrote a book called The Gospel Has a House Key, or words to that effect. And Rosaria Butterfield was a lesbian activist professor. Uh, But through various circumstances, she ended up falling into a church. And she got to know some Christians. And she was invited to the house of one of the leaders at this church. And over time, she eventually came to believe the gospel. And she forsook her old way of life. And she became a follower of Christ. Uh, But afterwards, in this book, she said this uh, of uh, the believers who she met with. Uh, She said this. She said, the way that they were practicing hospitality became a living, breathing example of the theology that they were teaching. They didn't see me as a project. They saw me as a neighbor. Hospitality takes strangers and makes them neighbors and takes neighbors and makes them family of God. That should be what our attitude is. Um, Whether to strangers or not strangers, we should have a welcoming, open, uh, hospitable attitude towards others. Uh, We don't close people off through suspicion, but we, as Paul puts in one of our letters, we should have our hearts open to people, have our lives open to people. We show brotherly love by sharing our lives with each other, and particularly to strangers. So that's the first question for us this evening. Uh, In what ways can we show hospitality to strangers and to one another? I'm fully aware of uh, all the obstacles and difficulties to that. Uh, We might have uh, health problems. We might uh, have a very small home. We may not have much to share. Uh, These are real problems, but all of us uh, should be thinking about how we can be hospitable, how we can show the same heart that Christ himself showed. Uh, I've been thinking myself how I can do um, better at this. And just yesterday I, I bought... Um, just two pizzas to have in my freezer, just in case on the off chance anyone pops in. So if you ever pop in during the week, I will at least have a pizza for you uh, if you want something. But let's be thinking, 
of ways how we can be welcoming and open to those who come in. Um, because that commends the gospel. That commends Christ to others when we're willing to share our lives with others. So that's the first theme of brotherly love that Hebrews gives us. Do not forget to entertain strangers. For by so, by so doing, some have un unwittingly entertained angels. Let's move on to the second way. Uh, the second way we are to show brotherly love. Uh, look at verse 3. Hebrews writes, Remember the prisoners as if chained with them, those who are mistreated, since you yourselves are in the body also. The second theme is compassion. Uh, we are to have compassion on people who are suffering in ways worse than ourselves. Uh, you remember what was said of Jesus in the Gospels, how uh, he saw the crowds and he saw them as like sheep without a shepherd and he had compassion on them. Uh, he saw them and in his mind's eye, they looked like lost sheep without anyone to guide them. He had a heartfelt compassion for them. And we should likewise have a compassion for people who are lost, for people who are hurting, people who are suffering. And that's more uh, than just being nice people. Uh, I've said this recently, but uh, everyone wants to be nice. There's no one in the world, I don't think, who doesn't want to be nice or be thought of as nice in some way. Uh, but the problem is, wanting to be nice often has more to do with us than it, has to all, than it has to the people we're trying to be nice to. Uh, we want to be seen as nice more than we actually want to help the people. Uh, just to give one example of this, uh, you may have heard of Colonel Sanders. Um, he was the creator of uh, Kentucky Fried Chicken, and uh, that was a good work that he did, in my opinion. Um, but he was a believer, uh, I understand. He was a uh, believer, which is uh, doubly good. And uh, there's a story of Colonel Sanders which goes like this. Uh, apparently, uh, Colonel Sanders was once on an aeroplane when there was an infant screaming. And uh, if you've ever been on a plane with a baby crying, you know what a terrible experience that is. And this baby would not stop, even though the mother and the flight attendants tried every single trick they could think of. Finally, for some reason, the colonel was asked if he could hold the baby, and he gently rocked it to sleep. Later, a passenger said to him, we all appreciate what you did for all of us. But then Colonel Sanders replied, and he said, I didn't do it for us. I did it for the baby. Now, do you see the difference? All those people wanted that baby to shut up because the baby was a hindrance to them. And so they were being nice to the baby for their benefit. But Colonel Sanders, at least in that instance, had compassion on the baby. He thought about what it must be like for that baby. And he rocked it to sleep. Do you see the difference between merely 
um, doing something good and having true compassion. Compassion, if you like, puts us in the skin of the person we are doing good for. Uh, True compassion is able to imagine what it must be like to be that person. And Hebrews says to us, remember the prisoners as if you were chained with them yourself, those who are mistreated. That's the kind of love we should have for one another. Uh, When someone else is in pain, uh, especially when another believer is in pain, we should feel that. We should have the compassion so that it feels like we ourselves are in pain. Uh, I've said this before, but when your toe is hurting, you are hurting because your toe is part of you. And that's what compassion is. Uh, Compassion has a love for people and gets inside, as it were, their skin. And that's why it's good uh, for us to read missionary reports. That's why we put them on the front pew and we, uh, when we get them, we share prayer reports from Constantine in northeast Russia and from Pastor Daniel. Uh, because when we hear the words of our brothers and sisters, it helps us have a true compassion for them. Uh, we hear their words and we can imagine what it must be like to be in their situation. Uh, even better, we have missionaries come and visit. We when we can, we have Maureen um, uh, come when she's visited uh, Moldova or uh, people from New Tribes Mission and others uh, to come and share with us because then we can relate better to the struggles of other believers in other places. And that is all part of obeying this command, remember the prisoners as if chained with them, those who are mistreated, since you yourselves are in the body also. That's the second way we show brotherly love, uh, by having a compassion that gets under the skin in the best possible way of those who are suffering amongst us. So it's the first two ways we show brotherly love. Uh, Firstly, we are hospitable. Secondly, we are compassionate. But thirdly, we should be faithful. You can see this in verse 4. Uh, Hebrews continues, marriage is honorable among all and the bed undefiled, but fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. If we are to show brotherly love, we must be faithful. Uh, Fornicators, as mentioned there, uh, refers to those who have sex outside of marriage. Uh, Adulterers, refers to sex within marriage, but with someone who is not your spouse. And this verse clearly says, without any ambiguity at all, that God will judge such people unless they repent, unless they turn to Christ and receive the forgiveness that only he can offer. Now, you know, there are some parts of the Bible that are hard to understand, Uh, Peter himself tells us that, doesn't he? Uh, He says about Paul, uh, some of his letters are difficult (laughs) and hard to understand, and I'm sure we can all relate to that. But other parts are crystal clear. Uh, They're only difficult because we make them difficult. Uh, We can come up with all sorts of justifications, and we can play all sorts of games with God's word, 
to try and make it mean something that it does not say. It reminds you of a story of a woman who really, really wanted to do something, and she asked her pastor, and he told her it was wrong. So what did she do? She went to find another pastor, and that pastor also told her it was wrong. And every pastor she went to, every Christian leader she went to, said, no, it's wrong. So she bought books on the subject, and book after book agreed with these pastors and these Christian leaders. The thing she wanted to do was wrong until eventually she found a book which told her it was okay. Now I wonder, which book did she follow? (laughs) Which book did she cling to? She clung to the one which told her what she wanted to hear. And we say how foolish, and yet we all know our own hearts, don't we? And we can be as foolish. We all want the Bible to say things uh, that we want to hear. We must come to the Bible honestly uh, because we are experts in self-deception. If you allow yourself, you can make the Bible say whatever you want it to say. Um, But this Bible, uh, this verse, sorry, is completely clear. Marriage is honorable among all and the bed undefiled, but fornicators and adulterers God will judge. I wonder how many... Uh, young people have decided that that verse doesn't really mean what it seems to say to them. Their situation is unique. If, if God saw the relationship they had with that boy or girl, then he would understand. Uh, how many spouses have said, yes, well, that's true for most people, but you don't know my situation. <laughs> but again, God is unequivocal. And if you have made mistakes in this regard, then there is forgiveness. Uh, But don't try to pretend the Bible says something it does not say. Instead, accept the forgiveness God offers. Confess your sin. Confess that you've gone wrong. And then the Bible says that you can be forgiven. Faithfulness is a key part of brotherly love. And this is where we can take heart. Uh, If you're a believer here this morning and you are in a marriage and you have remained faithful, uh, this verse should be a wonderful encouragement to you. Uh, Take heart if you're a Christian couple and perhaps your marriage hasn't been perfect, (laughs) perhaps there have been troubles along the way, perhaps it's been difficult, perhaps there's been ups and downs, but despite it all, you are together. Look what this verse says. It says, marriage is honourable. All those ups and downs are not nothing in the sight of God. Uh, They are well-pleasing to God. Uh, It might not mean much in the eyes of the world. It might even be despised in the eyes of the world who fit around from partner to partner. But in God's sight, it is precious. Faithfulness is precious in the eyes of God. And also take heart if you're single. Uh, If you, despite all the pressures and the temptations of the world, you have committed to stay true to what God's word says. And you have decided to keep the marriage bed undefiled and to reserve sex for marriage alone. Then that too is precious in God's sight. 
It may seem less fun. It may seem like a slog and a trial at times. But God looks on it and he is pleased. You could say this is uh, the most basic level of brotherly love. But it's precious in God's sight. Faithfulness matters to him. So that's the third way we show brotherly love. We remain faithful. Uh, Because that faithfulness shows brotherly love to your spouse, but it also shows brotherly love to everyone who is not your spouse. Because you are keeping faithful to the one who you have made promises to, and you're not stealing anyone else's spouse. But it also shows honour to God's word. And it shows your commitment to follow him. So that's the third way we show brotherly love, by being faithful. But this leads to the fourth and last way we show brotherly love. Look at verse 5. Hebrews says, Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Now, this last way Hebrews teaches us to show brotherly love might seem a little strange. Uh, He says we show brotherly love by being content and not coveting. And you might say that seems a bit strange because being content seems a very personal thing, doesn't it? Uh, Surely love is about giving out, but contentment seems to be very private and personal. But this dovetails with what we were looking at this morning. Uh, Do you remember how we learned that our desires, our warring desires in our hearts, lead to war and to hatred and to fighting so often. But it makes sense, therefore, that contentment will lead to peace and will lead to love. Uh, If you're not just a mess of warring desires that must be fulfilled, if instead you are content, then you are freed up to love others. Instead of being eaten up by jealousy and by envy and for desire for other things, instead you will be peaceful and content and secure in yourself and not simply seeking to use others and take what others can give to you. Instead, you are freed to give to them. That's the wonderful fruit of contentment. It leads us to be free to love others. Now listen to what 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 to 2 says. Uh, Paul writes, We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. It's a remarkable couple of verses. Um, Paul speaks of these Macedonian Christians, and he says they were in affliction. They were in extreme poverty. And you think, well, they're the last people who could be generous. They're in affliction. They're in extreme poverty. 
yet they were content. And their contentment overflowed in a wealth of generosity to others. But you think, well, how? How could they have been content when they were being afflicted? How could they be content when they were suffering extreme poverty? And the answer is, they could be content because they had Christ. Now, I said a few minutes ago that when we are content and secure in ourselves, then we're free to love others. But that isn't really the best way to express it. Now, it's not about being content and secure in ourselves. It's about being content and secure with Christ. When you have Christ, you have everything you need. If you have Christ, you need nothing else. That's exactly what Hebrews says in these verses. Let me read them again, verse 5. Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Isn't that a wonderful verse? Hebrews says God has promised, Christ has promised to never leave nor forsake you. Uh, You may not have a husband. You may not have a wife. You may not be keen on the husband you have. You may not be keen on the wife you have. You may not have the job you want. You may not have the house you want. You may not have the car you want. You may not have the siblings you want. There's all sorts of things you may not have. But if you have Christ, you have all you need. All these other things will be taken taken away from us in the end anyway. But Christ never will. That means we can be content. That means we are freed to be generous with others, to be generous to forgive, to be generous with our time, to be generous with our resources, because we've been given everything we need. Uh, You remember, of course, the parable of the pearl of great price. And Jesus taught how this man dug in a field and he found this pearl and how in his joy he sold everything he had in order to gain that pearl. That pearl was everything to him. And that's what Christ should be to us. Uh, In comparison to Christ, everything else should be nothing in comparison. And the irony is that when Christ is in first place, we're actually freed up to love other people better. If you put something else above Christ, you will end up loving it worse than you would have done if you put Christ in first place above it, whatever that thing is. That's why Hebrews chapter 13, verse 6 says, So we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? That's the wonderful privilege it is of being a Christian. Uh, So many people in the world live their lives in anxiety and in fear and in angst and in trouble. And it's because 
all the things which make their life worthwhile could be taken from them in a moment of time. It could all end with a bad diagnosis. It could all end by Putin dropping a nuke. All these things that people find so precious in this world can be taken away in a second. But Christ cannot be. The Lord is our helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? That is why contentment is the final key that Hebrews gives for brotherly love. It opens us to be able to love others freely. So those are the four words uh, that Hebrews gives us to teach us what brotherly love is. Like I say, I'm sure there are more. I'm sure there are other facets to this diamond, which is brotherly love. But let's take them and seek to put them into practice in our lives in the weeks and months ahead. Uh, Let's seek to be hospitable, open our hearts to others. And let's be compassionate to uh, suffer with those who are suffering, to weep with those who weep. Uh, Let us seek to be faithful, even when it's hard, even when it's difficult. And let's be content with Christ, because if we have Christ, we need nothing else. That's why I've chosen uh, as our final hymn, a hymn which is a hymn on the theme of loving one another. And it's a hymn which encourages us to see each other as members of the same body. Uh, It's 346. Blessed be the tie that binds our hearts in Christian love. The fellowship of kindred minds is like to that above. So let's close by singing 346.